And here we go. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Pulse of Ithaca podcast, your local podcast for entertainment in the greater Ithaca, New York area. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Sean, your host, and joining me is my ever knowledgeable co-host Pete. This week we'll be discussing some upcoming concerts in Ithaca and exploring my recent visit to the Tamarack Lane 2 in Danby State Forest. Also, 10 minutes from now, we're going to be interviewing Matt O'Brien of Flying Object, who has a show on Thursday, November 8th at Deep Deep Dive. Let's get started. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us today. So good to be here at the Canopy, downtown Ithaca, New York. Yeah, business Uh, as usual. Business as usual, that's right. Uh, Been a couple weeks since we got together. We were on hiatus last week. Yeah. Uh, so good to be back with you. I feel like I'm a little rusty for having a, a you know an extra week off there. Absolutely. <laughs> so super excited for our show today. Yeah. Uh, as you mentioned there in the intro, we're going to talk about some of the events coming up. You've got a nice hiking spot picked out for us. I do. And we're super excited after events to talk with Matt O'Brien of Flying yes. Objects. So uh, really excited for today's show. So. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. We've got, uh, before we get into the shows that are going on over the next couple weeks, I want to talk a little bit about the Ithaca Reggae Fest. Uh, They announced their dates a few months back, June 21st and 22nd at Stewart Park. It's the sixth annual. And uh, just this past Friday, they released their much-awaited lineup. All right. So I just wanted to kind of touch on their lineup and what they have going on, give a profile of some of the bands in case people aren't familiar. Um, really excited for this. Um, I've been uh, lucky enough to be a part of this festival, helping these guys out with their marketing and their website for the past few years. Um, super great g- group of guys and girls that put this on. So so excited that we have something so awesome right here in our community. Yeah. And uh, so looking at the lineup here, the headliner on Saturday night at Stewart Park is going to be John Brown's Body. So for those of you who are not familiar, they are an influential reggae American American reggae band. They're known for their fusion of roots, reggae, and dub. Uh, they've been on hiatus for a while, but they're reuniting, uh, guided by former frontman Kevin Kinsella, who's back with the band. And mm-hmm. their music, celebrated for its rich harmonies, deep grooves, and progressive sound, has captivated audiences for years. Uh, this reunion marks a new chapter for the band, promising to reignite their powerful message of unity, and healing through music. So I personally am super excited for that headliner. JBB is one of my all-time favorites. Uh, we did talk about them a couple JBB. of weeks. <laughs> we did talk about them a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so super glad that they're going to be back touring in 2024. Yes. And this might be one of the uh, earlier shows of their tour. I don't know if they they haven't released a full tour yet, but okay. we'll see where this show actually falls. Uh, but really excited to see them reunited and back on the stage. Uh, on Friday night, uh, you know, the Ithaca Reggae Fest does a really great job every year of bringing in a, a Jamaican artist. I think pretty much every year they've had somebody from Jamaica come uh, play the festival. Oh, wow. Uh, this year, uh, they're welcoming everybody on Friday night to a free show at Stewart Park. This will be at the pavilion, not at the main stage. Okay. And it's going to feature Sister Nancy. She's an iconic figure in dancehall reggae from Kingston, Jamaica. And she's celebrated for her pioneering contributions as one of the first female DJs. Uh, Her 1982 hit, Bomb Bomb, is a genre-defining track. It's been sampled across music genres worldwide for decades, uh, even into uh, current day music. Uh, And she's had a career that spanned over four decades. Her influence extends beyond reggae, embodying empowerment and resilience. 
and her distinctive voice and trailblazing spirit have made her a beloved and respected artist in the music community. So I think that's a huge um, grab for Friday night. Um, as I mentioned, that show on Friday night is free. Uh, the, you do have to have a ticket to go to the show on Saturday at the main stage. Uh, those are $35, and they're on sale at IthacaReggaeFest.com. Um, you know, I have a correction on that, actually. I messed up my uh, order of operations here. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sister Nancy's actually playing at the main stage on Saturday, so you do Saturday. need to get a ticket to see her uh, play before John Brown's Batty. On Friday night, we actually have uh, Pachi Man, who's going to be doing the free show on Friday for everyone. So that's at the pavilion. And Pachiman, for those of you who don't know, is a reggae and dub artist. He revitalizes the classic 70s and 80s dub scene with his authentic analog sound. He's been inspired by legends like King Tubby and Lee Scratch Perry, and he blends traditional dub with modern influences, showcasing his versatility as a multi-instrumentalist and producer. Uh, he's very well known for his dynamic live performances, and Patchy Man offers a rich, immersive experience, making significant contributions to the dub genre with his dedication to roots and his innovative approach. So that's going to be a great show. And again, that's on Friday night for free at the Pavilion on June 21st at Stewart Park in Ithaca, New York, right on the lake, and then Saturday, uh, followed up by the main event. Um, nice. Also, there's a couple of regional bands that are going to be there. Mosaic Foundation with Cha-Cha and Root Shock, uh, hailing from Syracuse. Uh, both of these bands have played the festival before. And uh, like I said earlier, they do such a great job of getting both regional bands that we all want to see, but also bringing in uh, national and international talent. So big props to the promoters and everybody over at Ithaca Reggae Fest for the great job that they've done. They did said there's more bands to be announced, so uh, tickets do go up the closer we get to uh, June 21st. So if you're thinking you're going to make it, uh, snag those tickets online at a reduced price. Do it now. So yeah, IthacaReggaeFest.com. All right, so that's it for festival announcements or lineup <laughs> announcements. Uh, We've got a couple shows coming up here this week that I was interested in. Uh, at Deep Dive, we have Flying Object opening up for the Bumping Uglies. So for people who, who are not familiar with Bumping Uglies, they're an American band uh, hailing from Annapolis, Maryland. They're known for the unique blend of reggae, ska, and punk rock. They're fronted by lead vocalist and guitarist Brandon Hardesty. Uh, the band's music is characterized by insightful lyrics, catchy melodies, and a laid-back vibe that reflects their East Coast roots. Uh, since their formation, um, uh, their discography showcases a commitment to exploring themes, a personal growth of love and challenges of life while maintaining a sense of humor and optimism. So really excited for that show. Flying Object is opening. They hail from Rochester, New York. They're led by Matt O'Brien. He has his brother uh, Chris O'Brien, who we featured on the show a couple of weeks ago on drums. He did. <laughs> yeah, so really looking forward to that show. And we're going to get into a little bit more about Flying Object later in the show when we interview Matt. So those tickets are available at deepdiveithaca.com. Uh, from what I'm hearing, tickets have been selling fast, so uh, definitely get those uh, before they're sold out. And that's coming up on Thursday, February 8th. All right, so... The last show that we had, or the, we had a couple more shows here to talk about. Uh, the Range in Ithaca, down in the Commons, has a show on Saturday night with Double Tiger. Uh, that's Saturday, February 10th at 9.30 p.m. 
And for those of you who are not familiar, Double Tiger is a reggae project hailing from Ithaca, New York, spearheaded by the multi-talented musician and producer Jay Spaker. Uh, known for its soulful blend of reggae, dub, and roots music, Double Tiger sound is characterized by lush melodies, deep grooves, and a modern take on reggae vibes. And uh, Spaker, he's known for his work with John Brown's Body and Dub Trio, uh, infuses Double Tiger's music with his rich experience in the genre, creating tracks that resonate with both traditional reggae aficionados and new listeners alike. So, nice. also super excited for that show. Our friend Carrie uh, said that there's going to be some kind of a dance ensemble there. I'm not sure what the full... What kind of dance? I, I'm not sure what the exact... Uh, I think she said something, or I think maybe I said, I think it's like a, a Fly Girls kind of like dance troupe or something like that. So What does that mean? <laughs> there's going to be like dancers. There's going to be like a dance squad there. And maybe not on stage. Maybe it's like going to be like... So like choreographed? Like, yeah, I think there's some kind like of... Not like you and I like at the bar dancing. No, like, I think this is like a dance group actually doing like uh, okay. a, maybe something in unison. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That would be super dope. Yeah, so... Uh, Make sure you get there and check that out. I'm excited. Nice, uh, Carrie was super excited when she talked to us about it. Uh, I don't know that much has been talked about about that, so you heard it here first. So. <laughs> On the False Ethical Podcast. <laughs> um, all right, so the only other show we wanted to mention was our friends are hosting Scuba Bowl 2 at Liquid State Brewing on Saturday, February 10th at 7 p.m. It's a $10 cover. That event is hosted by Ithaca's own Scuba Jerry. And uh, a lot of our friends, a lot of Matt's friend who we're about to interview are in that band. Uh, so definitely <laughs> come out. We've talked about them a lot on this show here. But they're revisiting Scuba Bowl. It's the day before the Super Bowl at Liquid State Brewing. Uh, be sure to get there early. The room filled up pretty fast last time. I think it was at capacity. Yeah. So uh, bring your $10, and uh, we'll see you guys Have there. Have a good time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. So... We got, that's the end of our first topic here. Uh, hopefully you, everybody found something to do over the next uh, a couple of weeks here in Ithaca. Um, up next, we're going to be uh, interviewing Matt O'Brien, and uh, he is the founding member and the former lead singer, frontman, and guitar player for Giant Panda Gorilla Dub Squad. He has significantly influenced reggae music landscape. His integral, integral role in the band helped carve their unique sound that blends reggae roots and dub Making a, marking a distinct chapter in the genre's evolution. After his departure from Giant Panda, O'Brien continued to showcase his talents with his band Thunderbody. His latest venture, Flying Object, reflects his deep-rooted passion and commitment to musical exploration. Through these projects, O'Brien continues to push the boundaries, offering fresh sounds and engaging performances that underscore his enduring impact in the local music scene. Matt O'Brien, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us yes, today. Matt. Whoa. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Paolo. You're our, welcome. Our pleasure. Uh, I just wanted to say before we get started that I, I've been a big fan of yours for a long time. I remember seeing you with Giant Panda back at uh, Club, Infinity, Club Infinity around 06, 07. I remember seeing you guys play some of the smaller venues in Buffalo. Uh, Nietzsche's in downtown Buffalo, down in Allentown, <laughs> had some great shows there. Nice. So. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. I can't even, I'm, I'll, I'll say everything at once. Infinity, was that the place that was kind of a country square dance bar? It absolutely was. <laughs> yeah, most of the week. And then they decided most to start doing concerts. 
for some reason not play Buffalo a lot. And when we finally did, we were at this big, funny place. Yeah. And it was like, Pat, or not Pat, right? There were like a lot of you there. It was like, whoa, okay, Buffalo's a thing now. <laughs> Absolutely. Those were some wild shows. And the, the Buffalo fans were always rabid. And <laughs> we had such a good time down there uh, seeing you guys. And it was, it was interesting because I lived in downtown Buffalo. And so it took me a good 25 minutes to get out there to the Burbs to where that venue was. Burbs, I love it. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, but those those were good times. So thanks again for being with us. And um, I think at this point, we're just going to hop right into the first question. Sean, why don't you take things away here? Sure. Uh, Matt, I'm going to start with the jugular question. Uh, what, what first drew you to music, and what were your like earlier influences? Easy question. The older I get to answer is, <laughs> uh, like, you know, the early, early, especially in the long run, my dad bought a drum set. And then a year, I felt like a year later, but very shortly after that, bought an acoustic guitar. Oh, wow. And I was five. So music, <laughs> I always loved music. I'd already been singing along in the car with everything and loving the music. But, uh, but uh, he got those things, and I just, nothing had ever made me so excited, and I'm still that excited. That's awesome. Um, but the Beatles, like, he got me, when he was seeing that I was really freaking out about music, one or or even maybe right when I caught wind of the Beatles thing, he bought me the twenty number one hits and the Imagine movie soundtrack. Oh wow! That's just like the answer to the question. Okay, I was like, yeah. okay, I know what we're doing now. <laughs> That's amazing. I had no idea that that uh, you guys were introduced. You and your brother were introduced to instruments at such a young age. That's really interesting. Yeah, we were allowed to play them and everything. I had even taken piano lessons and stuff, but. Uh, Finding out at age five, my dad could play the drums a little bit. He was good, but he was like a country drummer strictly. Everything he played sounded like country music. Interesting. And, um, <laughs> okay, I did not yeah, know that. He, but it was like a shock to me. I'm not, I mean, I, it, like I said, the older I get, the funnier it feels to remember what a shock it was. And I tell the story over and over again because it's such an easy answer. Yeah, he had this guitar. I was like, you know how to play it? And he would write songs. That was like what he thought you do with a guitar. And we'd right. sit on his lap and... He'd say, what do you think the words should be? And blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I was like really young. Wow. Uh, well, that explains a lot. <laughs> Having known you and your brother for a long time and seeing how proficient both of you are at songwriting and, and instruments and whatnot. So that makes a lot of sense. You guys were at an early age. Very cool. Yeah, and he was my brother close in age. So we were, he was stuck with the, but like it was, it was happening. That's yeah. amazing. Nice. All right, so going back to your days with Giant Panda, uh, can you share what inspired you as one of the co-founders of Giant Panda, and how did those early days uh, shape your approach to music? We were really hardcore about uh, doing a very good job with that music, which, of course, we considered very sacred and hallowed ground, and we needed to be treading thoughtfully. Uh, now, nobody, I don't know, will agree if we did enough or not, but we, we worked really hard on it, and there was... Uh, no doubt in our minds at a certain point in the very early 2000s that uh you know if you're gonna do reggae do reggae we didn't really want to sort of throw it in like as a mix it up we wanted to throw everything else in as a mix it up on our um so that was the direction that band took obviously my brother and i grew up together james uh and my brother and i had played music since early at least high school 
Right. And we just kept going and going and going. There was maybe like some breaks in there, but that was the band that was always going to be the band. And as a unit, we decided at the time, which especially at that time might have been a really good idea uh, to to give reggae our full effort. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of that, that time and that period, what really drove me to you guys was that... Um, Oftentimes with your live shows, you would have some songs or some dubs that went 10, 12 minutes, right? I have recordings where I used to come and tape your shows. You guys had very <laughs> nice. much a kind of psychedelic jam sound, uh, you know, that was perfectly layered with your reggae sound. Can you, would you agree with that? And, 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 and where did that come from? And, and how was it that you were able to weave that in there? Well, the importance to uh, i guess what the what i why i emphasize not only because you're asking me in this context but the full commitment to do reggae and be reggae first was a specific decision inevitably we would have been playing some kind of funky groovy music that was intended for people to dance to and that at the time in our lives would have probably taken the shape of like a Jam band like fish. Yes, we love absolutely. Fish. In fact, I discovered you guys. Really I discovered you guys. Um, like Medeski, Martin, and Wood, and improvisational music, and uh, even passively, how could you not at the time have been super into hip hop? Absolutely, because it's so groovy. And that's just I can specifically speak to the early years, and then Dub gives you the outlet dub gives you the platform to be like well we're gonna call the jamming dub and we're gonna serve the groove way more than we serve the uh virtuosic playing of instruments which you know from time to time did happen you know i used to play a lot of guitar at the time and uh could do like a big guitar solo or whatever but it was really about what layer that was on a groovy, groovy palette. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I absolutely uh, love seeing you guys perform live back in those days <laughs> and such a cool sound that you guys uh, cultivated over that time. Uh, so, Sean, take it away. What do we have next here? Uh, all right. So, as the front man and lead guitar player for Giant Panda, um, you must, do you have, can you give examples of some like memorable moments or like stories you had for during that time? Well, for example, when you mentioned the infinity, that I, I think that only happened once, and people uh, ask me questions like this in my personal life. Not that it's always on it right. uh, podcast interview, but like people ask me questions, or they'll they'll uh, remember something specific. They'll say, "You remember the time when blah blah blah," and I super don't, right. you know, but especially then. We did. We just played. So that Panda at that time played, you know, like 150 gigs a year or yeah, something like geez. that. Like a lot of gigs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I don't remember all of it specifically. It's all based together. On, like, some details. <laughs> somebody else remembers. But what are some memories? Like, okay, Infinity Music Hall was funny because it was a country, very yeah, country yeah. square outside, as far as I could tell. And all of a sudden, this town. 60 miles from our hometown, which if we just hadn't done very much, yeah. was a thing. So you could pick the memories of what, like, there's lots of um, traveling the country, getting pulled over memories. Those stories are always fun. Right. Like, <laughs> um, you know, like, back when Panda did, we played Red Rocks, we opened this reggae festival one day. Mm-hmm. 
um, that like I'll, I, I'll have vivid memories of those kind of stuff. But yeah, we traveled a lot. Really, the driving, the and uh, yeah, I mean that. So just, it's also we make a joke. I got so to segue to the the Geneseo show that we're doing on February seventeenth. It's called the Last Hang, and you say like the joke in flying object to jump around in the timeline yeah, here sure. is you never know when it's the last hang. Right. Right. And like, hand, is, hand is a great example of that. Like at the time that wasn't what I was doing anymore. <laughs> it was like extremely abrupt. Uh, and so it's funny, like how many years have gone by, blah, 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 add it all up equals what a fun, like what are the memories? Like all of the memories, yeah, from collectively that part of the, the entire the entire it's thing. That's amazing, and and that does lead us kind of into our next question. Uh, what led to your decision to leave Giant Panda, and how did you envision your musical journey moving forward at that point? Because you did go on to uh, participate in a couple other bands after that. What was the mindset at that time, and what was going on at that time? I uh, we were fried. We all were uniformly fried. We were doing a what I thought from the middle of the stage was a very good job and we were young and everything was all built up. And, uh, like I said, as much as like the story is now history, the night when like the night I played my last band, the show wasn't, that wasn't like a planned thing. Right. You talk about the last hang, right? Right. Like, did you know that show at the downstairs of Webster Hall is going to be the last? Nope. <laughs> right, right. So that's how that went. And then I was super determined to start Thunderbody. And I will also just jokingly say, yeah, because I'm not, I can't get into it. I will say I was, uh, I was all wound up back then, man. At the time that happened, I don't have like anything good to say about my conduct toward my bandmates or anything like that day or the surrounding days that much. But like, uh, Thunderbody is funny because people still to this day ask me about Panda. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I don't think it's ever been discussed anywhere. I know I've never asked you about it personally. I've never yeah, really. Nobody ever does. Yeah, I've never like talked with anybody about it in the band. But I've always wondered, so I figured it was at least uh, worth uh, mentioning and asking. So thank you for giving us a, a candid answer there. Oh um, yeah, and I love these dudes. Now I'm like, oh man, I, I thought everyone in the whole world would ask then. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad they didn't. <laughs> yeah, right. And you know, um, I have seen you be reunited on the stage with them. I believe at Ithaca Reggae Fest a couple of years ago, you came out and uh, sang a song yeah. with them on vocals. And uh, so it's great that you guys are still able to to, to hang and that uh, you still get to play with them. Um, hope to see you up there on the stage with them again for some cameos as well. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, sorry. So Thunderbody is a distinct sound style. How did you contribute to shaping this, and what were your main influences during this period? Like, why this decision to move to drums and lead vocals and move off the guitar? And it's a three-pronged question right there, but... <laughs> well, I got it. I, I watch Democracy Now! I'm sometimes like, wow, you just asked this person seven questions. <laughs> right. all the I hope you remember them all. Well, it's only about you know, the sound was inevitably going to be also not as a slide. I was just like, Oh, better do something immediately. Right. And, uh, Rachel and I were in that new boat. Uh, Rachel and, being uh, the uh, former, uh, uh, keys player for giant Panda. Yeah. Rachel and I left Panda at the same time on the same occasion and, uh, <laughs> abruptly. And 
than just you know and we were together we have a 10 year old child now we're not we haven't been you know right yeah all the stuff yeah he's just always so many stories but yeah we went to start telling about it and i had a really specific idea and so did rage we had a great, a great vision of exactly what we would have been doing in panda that we would have wanted to do differently and, and what, what was that exactly uh uh <coughs> well I, this and I, again, I think it actually. I'm going to say this before I say what I say. Mm-hmm. I think that was a good thing because the the creative difference at the time. I think if you had to really boil it down to one particular thing, which isn't why the band split up, because we know I didn't know this was like such a strong difference until we were doing Thunderbody. Right. Uh, that they that we were having a lot of success in Panda going out with these like west coast reggae bands where stuff was a lot more straightforward and simple and catchy and poppy and they played like more of the same set every night and had their whole set kind of dialed in and some of the people in panda were like that seems to be working maybe we should do that right like that's how you do this Mm -hmm. apparently Mm -hmm. and i kind of was like we stumbled into this doing what we were doing Right. Like we didn't know anything about what other people think about how you're supposed to do it. And I think we should keep doing what we are trying to do. And yeah. that's me emphasis on this super long, super rootsy, groovy dub stuff with uh, where you push the envelope. But it's not, you don't want to be in a band either party. This is what I mean. It's good because Panda has been Panda since then. Absolutely. That does what they do. Absolutely. And it's like, you can see that they want to be doing it the way they're doing it. Yeah, and, so, and like, uh, both, both bands have been very successful. Both versions of the band were very successful. Um, but to your point, I do see a stylistic uh, difference uh, on how you guys played in the early 2000 aughts you know, into, into where they're at now. Uh, there's a lot of similarities, but I can definitely see the differences there. So um, that's, yeah. it's really interesting how that you, know, you were able to uh, take Thunderbody and take what you wanted um, out of that experience and, and just get that band off the ground. You guys put out, I believe, one album. Is that right? Thunderbody put out, this is the thing that, I, that cracks me up. I was only on one, all well, two Panda albums, the live one and the slow down. Mm-hmm. Thunderbody did like five recordings. Maybe like one of them isn't out yet. Okay. We have one. <laughs> but like, yeah, Thunderbody was a much more, pro- like I was in Thunderbody for longer than I was in Panda. And yeah, there's a ton of records uh, and we played. But yeah, they were, it was just wackier. And I just have to also say the people in Thunderbody were the exact people we would have wanted to wind up with. Yeah. They're creative lunatics, and they're a really, really <laughs> good friends to this day. They're like, so it was just, okay, cool. You guys want to be in a lunatic psychedelic band? <laughs> right. Which I think Thunderbody was. That's to me. I'm like, yes, it's very much reggae, and we did that. But <laughs> Absolutely. We full indulgence in the other thing. And, and to follow up on, or to reiterate Sean's question there, what was the decision to move from guitar uh, into Thank being you. drums? Thank you for keeping me on track with that. It's a great <laughs> question. So, the guitar is what I thought I was going to do. So as soon as Panda split, I was like really practicing guitar a lot because I wanted to make a whole big statement about it. But um, we had Chris English. We had Buddy Honeycutt. And then we had Buddy Honeycutt used to be in Panda in the era where there was this wild percussion happening the whole time. That was Buddy Honeycutt. 
and he was going to play drums in Thunderbody, and he moved to Tennessee. <laughs> and he set us up with this guy that he knew from around town named Chris English, who was like, I'd never seen him before, but he was from Rochester and he was here now. So we immediately wanted to be like, what's up, dude? So he was playing drums in Thunderbody for like the first few rehearsals. And as we now know, Chris English was starting audio influx at the same time, blah, blah, blah. So Chris, we got really close with him and got to be buddies and now we're really close. But uh, he just like didn't come to rehearsal one day or something. And I played drums. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Dennis, I'll always give him credit. Dennis Mariano, who was the guitar player in Thunderbody before Sam was in the band and all throughout the whole thing, uh, was like, you should just play drums. I was like, play drums and sing like in the band for real? He's like, yeah, you're doing it like totally the way you could. Yeah. And then we went and did some goof around shows and set up in the middle and did that whole thing where I was the singing drummer. Uh, I ended, I mean, that was one of the best. That was a great eight years or how long that was like i I liked doing that it was a little much yeah that's that's amazing you know it was such a cool transition for me to see as a fan following your career and just to see you know i mean it was it was quite the switch up right like it was you on drums it was a completely different band uh so i think if you had been on guitar obviously it would have had an entirely different dynamic to it so really cool it's not very common to see a lead singer or a front man for a band playing drums so right super cool and really unique yeah very cool oh yeah Thank you for asking and keeping me on track with the question. Oh, oh no. <laughs> I just didn't want to forget. Uh, and yeah, so, I love also, apparently people think that's cool, so we might as well talk about it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right, so moving on a little bit, we've talked about uh, your time with Giant Panda, we've talked about Thunderbody. I wanted to move on to talk about the formation of Flying Object, your current band that's playing tomorrow night with the Bumpin' Uglies at Deep Dive in Ithaca. Deep Dive. Uh, Thursday, February 8th. Uh, Tell us a little bit. Um, this represents a pivotal moment in your career. Uh, what was the vision behind forming this band, and how does it differ musically and maybe even philosophically from those previous projects that we mentioned? <coughs> Great, my I love the question. First of all, that's like I'm like, oh, cool. You asked me exactly what I want to talk about. Awesome. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, flying object uh, does not diverge philosophically too much, maybe I'll answer the question backwards, um, or necessarily musically in terms of frequencies that you might hear or feel, but like not reggae. I'm, I'm not anti, obviously I'm not anti, yeah. but I'm just like, listen to this. Like we, I do this other thing with these songs and we do this other thing and my brother's into all this music. There was, uh, I started calling the music that I was trying to get across after Thunderbody, Flying Object, but it never was a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I was just writing songs. So in my head, it's a thing. And I was not having a very good time um, finding, because I've always played with like my immediate family, you know and I mean? Mm-hmm. Thunderbody too. Those, we were like, this is like my deepest homies from even the panda era it was all people i was already really really close with flying object i like went just around trying to like find musicians to play with all of whom are amazing and wonderful and uh just nothing was happening and then i did find these kids in rochester and tried to start flying object and uh they happen to be a jazz trio at eastman uh and i love them and we got two gigs in and then uh covid hit 
So then I had given up again, fully. Like, this whole, like, flying object. That's, like, not a thing, you know? Yeah. And so to say that I have a vision for what it was going to sound like, no. Like, because I wasn't trying to put together, like, Thunderbody, it had all these horns, and everybody, it was, like, a whole big thing. This was just songs. All I had was songs and my brother. And so the band started when my brother entered this rehearsal space in Rochester, a different one, and... And uh, a different one than we were talking about before we were recording, so nobody knows why I said a different one. Uh, (laughs) We would get together in the mornings with our buddy Mike Martinez, who we had, our relationship with him had been videographer, photographer, and we knew he played guitar and he's good at music. Um, But he's like sort of side music, and you know, that's how we knew him was from. So we got this, and we would get together and jam. And we sort of started to care, and I was trying, just itching to play these tunes I'd written. So we learned some of my new tunes, and we were just kind of chilling. And uh, that's how I started playing bass. We can segue on the musician thing, too. I play bass in Flying Object because Mike Martinez, who is, it's his bass, but he, you know, he likes to play guitar when we jam. My brother wants to play drums. Nice. So I had to play bass. And I did not like it because I'm not good at it. I was not good at it. And I clicked. I worked really hard on it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm a bass player now. So I play bass and fly now. That's amazing. I did not know that. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm trying to, I wish I could get the whole thing across because it did, it wasn't deliberate. In terms of the vision, this one I have to say from all the, the joy, like Panda, I like had this whole specific <laughs> uptight idea of what everything should be. Thunderbody, I got to do it. Like we right. got to do it like exactly the way I want. It was awesome. I love it. Uh, flying object. I'm like somebody be in a band with me. And it's yeah. like my brother and one of our best homies. And then, uh, Elliot Schwartzman. I don't know if you caught us with this keyboard player, dude, who was around. He was just in town. We met him, uh, playing with various people and he liked us he was uh you know had grown up in rochester and knew about panda or whatever from all the way back in the day and he wanted to play with us but this guy's like a real pro he's really really good at playing the piano he was uh he had been touring with the band imagine dragons yeah for five years yeah and like i didn't know who that was but like (laughs) all of our kids do right they're huge because he's like all right, I could tell stories about him. But anyway, the band was all of a sudden, like, sounding kind of good. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I have the confidence to do this now. And my brother was all about it. My brother, it was really my brother's idea. He's kind of like, why don't we just, like, all curate what we're doing? If we all want the same thing and you have this giant gaggle of songs. (laughs) Yeah. Let's try to just play, let's, like... If we all have, like, how much could go wrong with trying, and then we just, like, really liked it. And I, I'll stop there. But the vision, and then, well, I'll stop there right after I mentioned yeah, that we do. went out and, like, tried to do these fake gigs, these, just these gigs, just to see if it even felt like a band. We went and opened for Panda for three nights before the opener, you know, like, first of three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we had this, this, like, awesome keyboard player, and we're, like, having a really good time. It kind of sounded good. And, uh... Then on the third night, Dirty Blanket was the real opener. Dirty Blanket, who I hope everybody knows. Yes. Was, and uh, Max Flansberg had hit me up about this tune, and we played, and we were like, play the tune with us. And then he did, and we loved it. So from then on, if we were going to play, which we were, because we had this rush of confidence, um, and we did a bunch of gigs after that, we asked Max to play, and he was there for all of them. So then it was like, wow, we have Max in the band, and 
he's like, wow, I get to be in your band. We're like, wow, this is a really great relationship. Yeah. We're all so excited. It's a, all of a sudden I'm a band, and they're kind of like, why don't you, like, you have any preferences? Like, I'm like, nope. I didn't know I was going to have to do it. I have preferences, so how about just be great and yeah, we'll yeah. play the songs. And, Nice. That is amazing. I write the songs, and as long as the songs come across, that makes me happy at this point. Definitely. So, so Matt, like re- re- reuniting with your brother and Fine Object must have been special. I mean, like, how's that re- reunion influenced your band's dynamics and your personal approach to music? I can't. I'm in all of the. It's like the silliest. <laughs> I mean, that's what happened when me and uh, for the you wouldn't know from listening to the podcast, but. Chris and I have been very, very close, especially even in the last few years, but like all along throughout the, since we stopped being in Panda together, like, uh, so we're close, but now that we're doing it, it's like, what a waste. (laughs) Too bad we had to like be so much older to have it be harmonious and perfect and inevitable because yeah, it feels very, very good. And Musically, we lock in in a certain way that I think is, uh, I mean, say it is like listening to it. I'm like, oh, yeah, we're definitely playing together. Yeah, it's amazing. It's so great to see both of you up there on stage. Uh, You guys definitely look like you're happy to be back playing together in a band. And as a fan, I'm really excited uh, to see you guys reunited. So super awesome. It feels really good. Yeah, and I'm grateful to him, too, because he really did kind of, kick me in the butt into the direction of this being a thing hell yeah so we do have a few more questions here and i'm super excited about these next few questions um you know you've mentioned the the songwriting that you've done and how you had this catalog of songs and uh flying object was a vehicle for you to kind of get these songs out there and you had a band that was into it and wanted to play these songs can you describe your creative process and how you approach writing a new song and how how do you find your inspiration I will, this is another one, I'm older I get, and I'm like, yeah, it's all the time, and that doesn't always have an application, it was really mystifying, or to me, in the years where I wasn't in a band, and didn't have gigs, and all the stuff surrounding COVID and all that, I'm like, why did I like double down on that being the only thing I want to do is write songs, like, it was like I was stockpiling them for the day, like, well, what if you all of a sudden have a band? You better have a bunch of songs. Like, and I just find it, I find it funny. And, but the process is just the, all the time. I, uh, I would love for it to have be, to be more, you know, I don't know how to say like responsible or feasible for it to be as much of an obsession for me as it is. Yeah. But it's like, uh, and, and so in terms of the process, see, I've just gotten long winded, but I'm talking about the process is like, my whole day every day yeah absolutely uh, but like writing songs if people here to ask a specific question like do you people feel like you write the music or the words first my and i haven't had a chance for this to be like my overkill answer but i do know that at this point in my life it's pretty much like this you're just like looking for songs that's all i'm doing is looking for a song like hoping one falls into my lap just out of nowhere in the kitchen yeah and then i work on it but yeah, I you know, the, feel like the, the, the you get in the way of it. When you find it, all you got to do is, like, excavate it, brush it off. Like, once you find it, you don't really have to fear very much. You just want to be like, found it, and then keep following that. And if it takes three years or whatever to even <laughs> think about it, it's cool. But 
Well, th- this is really interesting to me as someone who doesn't play an instrument, um, you know, and I'm not that well versed in music in general. Like I never, I generally don't even know which sound is coming from which instrument. I'm very much a layman. So this idea of actually <laughs> being able to create a song is just fascinating to me. Uh, can you give me an example of a time when you felt like one fell in your lap, like you were at a certain place at a certain time? Like, do you literally write these on napkins? Like, what is that? <laughs> what does that look like? Moment of inspiration. It looks like I. All right. So I used to. Have, there were all different ways. I've tried every way of like gathering that energy or that inspiration and i know now that i'll find them or like hear it okay in your head like this is what i mean like you know how when you have a song in your head yeah to answer your question specifically when you have a song in your head and and i and, I, and it, it appears it out of nowhere for me the board applicable but it's like i have a song in my head that's not a song yet or whatever <laughs> right like, so i'm gonna, so then I, I'll be like, well, I want to make it a song, like right now in the kitchen, because I want that to song. I, I'm like, I had that in my head yesterday, too. Yeah. Like, fact, I'm like, how often do I have this song in my head? And do the lyrics and come then, first in that situation? Like, oh. Or is it more the, the, the music and the beat comes first? No, yeah, and then I go, and then you start trying to learn the song, like as though I were learning a song that I don't yet know the words to off the radio. Or like if I... If I'm learning a cover song, I look it up and learn it by ear, not to say, like, I do it perfectly or never would look up some weird detail. But, right. yeah, I just listen to the song and play it. And then, uh, so sometimes I feel like writing a song is similar to, you, you're, like, learning a tune, but you don't know how it goes yet. But, yeah, it's a little bit of, like, the word, whatever the word is that are the, the thing that made you know you found a song is um that's all you got it's like there might be like a whole pyramid buried underneath the sand <laughs> that's amazing but you yeah. know for sure that it's a pyramid because it's a big tip with four sides again like, this is just a you, know, like you don't have like a laser analysis system to see what's going on underneath right but you do know that if you just kind of keep at it and move the sand out of the way you're going to see what's there that's how i sometimes feel about the songs and then, yeah, all the things that have happened in my life and my sense of how I like to speak or sure. <laughs> what I'm trying to get across informs what the lyrics are. But I do, even with that, try to just stay out of the way till that day. You know exactly what to say. Yeah. Don't start thinking about, oh, what are the lyrics and writing them down and stuff because then you're stuck. Right. With yeah. whatever you put there. Well, you know, I'm going to give your, your dad credit for some of this. I feel like, <laughs> you know, when you have... Uh, you bring home drums and a guitar and you get your kids down in front of them yes. at such an early age. I think that probably just created some some pathways for you where this just flows through you to Creative some extent. Juju. <laughs> yeah, so super cool. Thank nice. you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Cool, man. Well, heck yeah. That's an answer I always have to try to keep short because that is the crux of what I feel like I'm doing with music. Yeah. That process. Cool. The song. Matt, I got to so, ask you. Now, I gotta ask you, if you could give your uh, your younger self uh, advice at the start of your musical career, what would it be? Like, would you change anything? Would you, like, you know, like, if you had that opportunity, what would you do? What would you say to your younger self? This is the one um, question that you sent that I think my mind ended up giving the most thought. Okay. Uh, and uh, <laughs> there's, like, a lot, a lot. So I guess I would say two things. I'd be like, 
So whatever you're doing in between, just play piano more. Like, <laughs> okay. play piano like, while you're doing anything. Like, here's the thing. Oh, don't, like, music is sacred. Cool. So while you're watching anything, like, doing anything, at least have an instrument in your hand, because you'll just be happy about that later. Right. I promise. Hmm. No. Uh, and then I would sort of say, uh, maybe, but not going to go long-winded on this, like, don't paint yourself into any particular corner like uh period i'd be like i don't know man that's a crazy question but yeah i do like no the enthusiasm i had for things at the time i was young so i'd be like well here's a pat on the back just remember you you will you this might not be like what you think it's going to be when you're how old i am now yeah. <laughs> you know like that'd be like like i'm telling you like you i know you're certain of this but yeah try that- harder that's a really like try harder to be better, mostly at the interpersonal stuff. Okay. Like, yeah, take care yeah, of like, your mind, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, take, take care of yourself and take care of, like, the people around you aren't, like, your little brother and you can argue, like, your kids, like, no, like, this is your life now and your career. Maybe treat everything around you with that type of reverence i don't know that would be the end of my rant on that but no that's amazing (laughs) those are two really good insights and i appreciate you being so candid with us and i think it's amazing you know and for young musicians out there who might be listening to this episode i think it's really impactful for them to hear uh, things like that from yeah, someone absolutely. who's been in so many, you know, had a couple of different projects, been a musician for such a long time. So I really appreciate that. Uh, and if they are listening, I encourage those kids to send me a DM or something if they ever have any questions because <laughs> everything is a mystery and you just wish. I'd rather tell some real kid. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, like, like, I'll tell you whatever you want to hear. Wide open book learn from my mistakes (laughs) so this next question is a two-part question and um we can help you through it as well but uh (laughs) we were you know you had the show coming up tomorrow night february 8th at deep dive with the bumping uglies uh what can fans expect at this show and uh, how does it feel to share the stage with them and then the second part the second question is what do you have uh coming up for flying object in 2024 and beyond happy that we were offered the gig uh i don't know whether tj encouraged them to invite us or they invited us based on just knowing that it might be the right vibe but bumping uglies uh i keep hearing that i'm going to get along really well with them which i hope you know hopefully they want to hang out and stuff. But, uh, <laughs> yes. i just i had uh, given them oh, and you know they won't hear this maybe they will we can make jokes i had given them the old assume they were from the west coast thing in my brain and they're from the East Coast. They're from Maryland, you yeah, told me. And absolutely. I'm like, oh, I'm excited to hopefully joke with them about how I was like 70% more open to hanging out with them <laughs> and thinking they might be cool when I found out they're from the East Coast. Absolutely. Um, but uh, they're, they're cool. They definitely have a very positive and what seems to me to be, I don't, you know, it's hard out here in the musical world. They seem to have a very healthy and well-adjusted vibe. Um, they're like hit us up being like they want to share gear. That's cool. Some bands are kind of goofy. Yeah. Um, about awesome. drums and bass. It's like, to us, it's like, of course, use yeah. whatever. Hell yeah. Um, and what can fans expect is we have not been able to play as much as we want to play. That sounds like an apology that we're going to suck. No. Um, <laughs> we are revved up. Max, the, the guitar. I don't know PC. It's like a little crossover from your show to the Max world. Yeah. The rest of the world got like 30 Blanket, who's also playing a deep dive in March, 
Um, yes, I did see that was he coming up. He played the electric guitar, and he just digs in. He, like, made the band. Absolutely. It's so cool. And uh, so we have, like, an hour at most. I'm sure it's 45 minutes or an hour we're playing. And we're going to just, like, dish it out. And I'm, uh, I, I made the... I Now I look at it like a mistake, but I went and played Flying Object before it was ready, like, mostly in Ithaca. So yeah, I feel like yeah. <laughs> every time I go to Flying Object show in Ithaca, it would be like a dud. So I was like, nah, <laughs> what we're going for, fellas. Like, let's try this in some different way. Well, and, I think there's uh, going to so be a great I'll, crowd out tomorrow night. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm hoping we're just, like, so happy to see Ithaca, like, never before. And, we're just going to drop it. Absolutely. We're super <laughs> excited for the show. Um, any plans to get into the studio in 2024? Any new albums coming out? Any? Okay, I'm so glad you asked. We're already in the studio. We, re- <laughs> we did like half of the work of tracking an album. And I'm going to say this, Cynthia asked. We did it, just we just played. And then like if stuff is overdubbed, oh, it's mostly because somebody like, couldn't be there or whatever. We don't, we're not doing much to it, man. It's going to sound very similar to what you would expect if you've been following us from the beginning with the live thing. And happily, more than in any other situation, (laughs) I would say just based on what we did so far, it reflects, like, really what we've been doing. Like, how did you ask earlier, like, what was the vision for it? It was like, the vision for it was these songs to sound good. Darn it. Yeah. (laughs) The best musicians around, or at least the best ones I could possibly want to be playing with, how about we just let it sound how it sounds? And, like, that's how the record sounds. Like, nobody, it wasn't like, hey, Max, play exactly this. And and he just threads all over. So, anyway, yeah, that's going to be done um, early March. We're going to be done tracking that, now, which is going to be a total of four days. Okay, awesome. Do you have a... Hopefully by the fourth day when nobody's playing or singing anything and we're just, like, watching Jocko sort of get it organized. That's amazing. Now, do you have a, a title picked out for the album yet? Self-titled? What are we going for here? Homesick. Homesick. Like our theme song. All right. You heard it here first. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Flying Object, Homesick is the uh, record. It's the first track. It will be the first track, you know, unless somebody tells us they'll only give us a million dollars to make another record. (laughs) It's not the first track, but it's a tough dog. Yeah, the first track is Homesick, and it's a little bit like our theme song, and I could go into that. It's applicable, though, and it's a good one. Um, one that makes me feel strangely at home <laughs> and uh, meant a lot to me when I wrote it and the band has embraced it. We don't sound like we sit and talk about like, oh, our old theme song, because nothing about it is. Yeah, but yeah. Homesick. The sentiment that song gets across is like what we're trying to find. Um, and uh, to be as cliche as possible, in my very first opportunity to do so, for the moment, I'd be like, yeah, that's like where the flying object is going. You hope it's going home. Yeah. <laughs> <You're> like, Somebody <laughs> finds the way home. Because it's been like a long road. That is awesome. Matt, dude, yeah, I cannot brother. thank you enough. This yeah, has been thanks, awesome. It exceeded any kind of really high expectations I had. Well, hold on. Yeah. Oh, I gotta say something. So, um, was our highest listener episode with chris yeah it was yeah when, so when Matt, chris yeah we when like chris some, we had like a hundred listeners here. when yeah. your brother when we interviewed your brother so we had yeah we were gonna see if you can top uh, your brother in terms yeah, of our listeners you know what's funny is he was which is unusual in the current circumstance he was at my house like wandering around like going outside like he happened to be there <laughs> that's awesome like doing that interview like i could hear him coming and going he was the best it was so much fun to have him on yeah. and he was our first interview and now you're our second and 
we've really had a lot of fun doing this over the past couple of months. So, you know, having people like you on has just, you know, really helped us uh, feel like this thing is working and that it's going. And so we really totally, can't thank yeah. you enough for taking the time yeah, to join thanks, us today. And we're it. super excited yeah, about well, this show. It takes too long, but you asking us to talk to you and this kind of stuff, it's, a re it's very reciprocal. I don't know if a, a million people listen to you or a hundred people have checked in or whatever <laughs> to do this. We're keep doing it. Keep asking questions, keep giving people the space, and then our community builds. And we get to, and I'll say this, listening to you do your opening, it was, wow, you were talking about all my, some of my favorite people on the planet. It's all <laughs> Absolutely, at once. man. This is what Somebody we're doing talk here. About this. <laughs> all right, Matt. Thanks again so much. Right. Take care, Thank brother. Yeah, take care, Matt. Be well. Peace. Peace. <laughs> Such a good dude. That was awesome. Uh, I had to throw in there the little caveat about uh, his brother being the most popular episode. That's right. <laughs> See if you top that. <laughs> so good. So good to have both of them on. Uh, it's been a, a great couple of weeks. All right, Sean. Here we go. And now it's time for a segment we like to call The, the Great Outdoors. outdoors. <laughs> All right. So uh, every couple of weeks you have some homework to do for us. Yeah. We send you out into the wilderness. You do. Nature calls. <laughs> Nature does call multiple times to me. <laughs> and uh, you answer. And uh, this week uh, you went hiking out in Danby. I saw some pictures last weekend. Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about the place you picked out for us this week. So where I went this past weekend was the Tamarack Lean 2 on the Phoenix Trail in Danby State Forest, like you said. Um, it was a little... Uh, brunch session out there um okay yeah so um uh solo was this a solo solo yep yep um and damien has snow oh <laughs> so, they do yeah. okay there must be some elevation over there yeah yeah so it's kind of cool to see um yeah so where i went there's so like it's on the phoenix trail there's two ways to get in there i actually went on the shorter trail which is actually steeper so shorter and harder um, is that like off of Curtis Road or is that on the other so side? So where I went was um, off of 96B. Okay. Um, on this road called Durfee Road, which is where I parked my car. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was like a mile in, but it's basically all like straight up. Um, and I didn't have that much stuff, but um, I was but basically my goal was like I hadn't been to the Tamarack Lean 2 like in about a year. Okay. Um, I brought some stuff for food. Um, I... The night before, I uh, made some pork belly with um, seasoned with some like sweet and spicy um, like um, Asian glaze to it. Okay, nice. Yeah, that sounds and really good. It was really good. It was amazing, actually. <laughs> um, I put it over sticky rice. Okay. Um, now we're talking. Yeah, some some chives added to it. Um, I also had some miso soup. Um, I had some nice tea. Um, yeah, it was it was it was a good it was a good hike. Awesome. And so tell me, what did you pack with you? Uh, you know, you said you brought some food. Give me a list. Like, what is the supply? What's, what's in your pack when you're trying to do a little uh, day trip like this where you're cooking out in the woods and whatnot? So what I did for um, curiosity is you have, like, one of those luggage uh, scales. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I'm a notorious overpacker. All right, so you actually weigh your pack before you head out? Yeah, so I, when I weighed my pack when I started, it was 21 pounds. And then when I was done, it was 17 pounds. Okay, all right. Um, yeah, I brought all this stuff for food. Oh, so what's involved with that? You've got... Uh, um, I had the uh, the pork belly already uh, seasoned. I had some packets of sticky rice, okay. which I just needed to like dunk in hot water. Mm -hmm. um, I had the dry pack of miso soup, which is I just had to add water. Okay. 
Um, and the, the, the cool thing about the Tamarack lean-to, which of all the lean-tos I've seen in the, in the Phoenix Trail, this is the only one that has a water sprocket there, like fresh water. Okay, wow. So there's like a spring? There's a spring and there's like a little like, um, help me here. Is it just the mouth of a spring? No, no, it's, um, my God, I can't think of the freaking <laughs> word. Uh, Describe it for me. Hose. <laughs> hose, <Okay>. Jesus. <laughs> um, it's like a little hose. Okay. Um, so, which is nice, because like, a lot of times when you go camping or hiking, like, you gotta bring water. You yeah. gotta bring water for hydration, you gotta bring water for cooking, for, for cleaning, or whatever. And that can like, take a lot of space and like, weigh a lot. Yeah. So I didn't have to do that, which was huge. And that was kind of like my motivation to check it out um, this past weekend. Um, but yeah, there was plenty, with the, the sprocket there, I had plenty of water for like my soup, um, for awesome. the rice, and my tea. And um, what else I'm bringing? I brought my folding saw. Okay. Um, Any chair? I did table? not. Because I, um, so Pans? at the, the lean-to, there's, um, the lean-to, there's already a graded uh, fire pit there. Okay. And then there's a picnic table there. Oh, sweet. Yeah. What, what other infrastructure there? Describe the lean-to. Um, it's got, a, it's got a, a wooden floor? Wooden floor, a wooden roof, um, three-sided wall. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, there was, like, um, benches made there from, like, logs and stuff. Okay. And then, like, the picnic table, like I said. Um, what else did I bring? I feel like I brought more than that, but, like, um, oh. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like quite a bit, though. And uh, yeah. so you brought five pounds worth of food, it sounds like, because your pack was Apparently five, I did. five pounds lighter when you left. <laughs> right. Uh, and so uh, what was the cooking process like? You had to make a fire. You brought a little bit of fire starter with you, I imagine. What would you do for, for firewood? I basically, yeah, I brought one of those like uh, oversized like matches. Um, I think you, you use yeah. them for on a hike, um, yeah, so which was enough. Yeah. Um, I got some like uh, down branches there. Um, with my folding saw, I cut down some trees, like small trees. Yeah. Um, just to get like the the wood going pretty well. And it burned hot and burned hot. Um, it's nice because like they're great. They're so at a lot of these lean tos, like there's a fire like pit, great, and then there's like a a grate that like um, folds on top of the fire pit. Oh, perfect. So there's a grate there you can like put your like um, pans there. And I do have like this like a uh, camping set that I got for twenty dollars off of Amazon. Awesome. <laughs> You're welcome, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> um, <laughs> And it just has like uh, like some pots and pans, um, some bowls, um, it's a cutting board. Um, it's got like a little kettle in it, and but all kind of like collapses in, within each other, so it's maybe the size of like a football. Okay. Um, it's super light and it's like super easy to carry, and it has like a bunch of stuff in it. Um, so that's yeah, that's all I basically used. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and how far of a hike is it from where you parked your car up to where you're going? Just one mile. Okay, and it was. Um, was it was it level? Was it hilly? Was it uh, it was, uphill? It's pr- it pretty steep. Um, okay. Was it mostly uphill on the way there? Mostly uphill on the way there. Okay. So and that's actually so like that's the shorter route because mm-hmm. you can go from the east to the west. I went from the west side, and that's like the the one mile hike in, but super steep hike in. I've gotten on the east side entrance, which is two miles plus in, but it's all flat. Okay. So it's basically it's trade off. Yeah. You wanna, like do short and sweet and get over with or you want to just like the casual hike in right yeah good stuff man yeah dude it sounds like a great time uh it's have you, you have you been there before uh but once and like did you camp ago. when you went no actually uh this was like last winter like a year ago and i um i made burritos okay <laughs> nice i made uh also made uh, some enchiladas and uh some margaritas out there <laughs> 
Dude, that's awesome. And what time did you uh, head up there? What time did you head out? Uh, I got an early start. Uh, I think I went Saturday morning. So I think I left. I got there around like 7.30. Okay, awesome. And then I was the whole place myself. Yeah. So it's like when I do these like hikes and I go to these like destinations, like these lean-tos, yeah. I was like... There better not be anyone there. I know, <laughs> right? <laughs> this is scary. Then you got to go off and make your own lead yeah. to somewhere. You're, you're off in the woods, cutting down even more trees, um, yeah. setting up your own shelter, and making your own pet, right? I always like joke with my buddies. Like, <laughs> there's like two types of hiking, or two types of people you meet on the trail when you're hiking. Yeah. There's like the person that like does not make eye contact with you and just totally ignores you because yes. they want their space and like privacy, which I get and yeah. relate to. And then there's another person that wants to be your your best friend. Yeah, they're like, oh my gosh, yeah. I found a hiking partner. Right, no human being. Like we're <laughs> best like, friends. Like yeah. it's like no, no, no. Like I'll say hi, I'll nod, and then like be on your merry way. Yeah. Well, I can appreciate that. But you know, I can tell that about you because I didn't get the call last week to come like, on the hike. Well, you were sick. Yeah, I was sick. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Thanks for not harassing me yeah. when so, I was sick. I knew you I, needed your rest. I did need my rest. Yeah. Uh, so I appreciate that. <laughs> I told you to drink your whiskey. <laughs> yeah, you know, I did take you up on that. I okay, did good. try some whiskey. I think it did help a little bit, at least for one or two nights. Uh, I do. A little <laughs> whiskey goes a long way. All right. Well, this has been um, a lot of fun today. Uh, I hope all of our listeners at home really enjoyed the show. Uh, don't forget to check out uh, Matt O'Brien with the Flying Object and Bumping Uglies on Thursday night at Deep Dive in Ithaca. Uh, many thanks to him for joining yeah. us on the show today. That was a lot of fun. We'll definitely have him back and his brother. Um, and I'm your host, Pete, and I've been joined by the ever-insightful Sean. We hope you take this opportunity to discover the Tamarack lean-to in Danby. If you love what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Your support goes a long way to helping us bring you the latest and greatest from Ithaca. Um, if you've got an event or a story or a local favorite, we'd love hearing from you. Reach out to us on social media. Shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep your finger on the pulse of Ithaca and make the most of this place we call home. Take care, everyone. Good night, Ithaca. Kenny, coming up on Friday, February 9th.